Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of Bloomington Spirits. I'm your host, Josh, and this week we have a recent grad with the Department of Theater and Dance here at IU, Caleb Curtis. Hailing from the great realm of Fort Wayne, Caleb came to IU in hopes of exploring his love for musical theater, but he found himself being submerged in the world of straight plays on both the main stage and off. In this conversation, we discuss how that changed his perspective of theater and how he views himself as an artist now. One thing that I love about Caleb is that his passion exudes from him like a flood, and I hope that you get to experience that while listening to this conversation. Before we get there, though, I want to thank you all again for listening to this show. We're four episodes deep now, and each conversation has gotten me closer with these individuals, and for that, I am extremely grateful. So that being said, kick back, grab your favorite drink, and get ready for this week's Bloomington Spirits. Well, hey, buddy. Hey. Thanks so much for coming on the pod today. Oh, my absolute and pleasure. welcome back to, you know, the wonderful city of Bloomington. It's, it's it, not quite the wonderful land of Oz, but yeah. it is still good. Well, hey, I mean, it's pretty dang close whenever you're here, so. Barf. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my audience, like, viewership just drops <laughs> They said, I'm not watching this gay ass <laughs> shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. you, you don't watch a podcast, Caleb. Yeah, but, um. I mean, you had a. I hope your performances were wonderful. Oh, it was uh, so great. You just got done playing Crutchy, correct? I did. I did. Uh, we did. I was there for six weeks and we did uh, a cabaret of just everybody singing songs. Um, and then we did The Tempest and I played Ferdinand. Wonderful. Um, which I've done before, but with the different group of people and it was wonderful. And then the show that I was, not that I wasn't looking forward to the other ones, but the show that I was like really like, this is why I signed the contract, right. um, was Newsies and Crutchy. And I've wanted to play that role. For a long time, and it's really weird, like, when you're finally handed a bucket list role, and you're like, oh, shit. No, I get to do this. No, I totally know what you mean. I mean, I know I haven't started things yet, but we're planning on doing once next year, hopefully. Fingers crossed if things still pan out. And so getting to have that opportunity and knowing that it's coming down the pipeline. It's such a dope show. It's a very – yeah, it is extremely dope. I mean, I hope that it works out – well, I don't want to. I don't know what want to go too much into it because I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about it. But, um, yeah, I'm very excited to see that. I will say that I saw that show at the yeah. IU Auditorium, mm-hmm. and I saw it in the balcony, the first row of the balcony. Yeah. And IU Auditorium is huge. Destroyed yeah. that show. Yeah, that show it's, is meant to be in an intimate space. Yeah. So I'm glad that yeah. if it is going to be done, it's going to be somewhere like the studio theater where it's yeah. like you're like right on top of it. I saw it in, uh, on Broadway and. It was truly one of the most mesmerizing experiences of my life. Um, it, it's truly one of those shows. I mean, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with it, the uh, all the actors play the uh, instruments, or they essentially are the pit. And the story is just very, very beautiful, and the mm-hmm. music's haunting. Uh, Glenn Hansard and Marquette Urglova, incredible writers. Um, Bless you. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we drinking today? We are friend? drinking a good old Bud Light. A Midwestern drink for a Midwestern boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, boy. Why, uh, why'd you choose Bud Light to have today? Okay, so when I first started drinking, I was nothing but the fruity guys. Fruity guys? Fruity <laughs> guys. Anyway, <laughs> fruity guy drinks. Um, like I love, and I still do. I love me some strawberry daiquiris. I love me some vodka cranberries. By the right. way, did you know that uh, the official name of a vodka cranberry is a, called a Cape Cod? Wait, what? I yeah, know that's that. that's the name of the. Everybody I, like, just refers to it as. Yeah, a no. Cranberry. So I'm gonna like go to the bars now and be like, "Can I get a Cape Cod?" And, and they're gonna the, be like, "Get out!" Yeah, like, <laughs> so, you freaking um, snotty. Yeah. No, I um. So, and my dad is a huge beer guy. Gotcha. Like 
IPAs, German beers to mm-hmm. the max. And so like Mine I felt well. like I would let him down if I didn't at least try to start liking beer. <laughs> That's um, very he fair. He hates, hates PBR and he hates Bud Light um, because to, them, to him it's piss water. Right. But the legendary Michael Baylor was like, dude, you should start, if you want to start getting into beers, you should start like with like PBRs and Bud Light. Yeah. It's and a so nice had, little. It's, it's a nice little. It's yeah, because because you can't just dive right into your IPAs yeah, and your and your stouts because yeah. I mean it's just it's those are a little too heavy. You need to like develop your palate a little yeah. bit first. Still can't do IPAs. I do love stouts, but okay. So he said that, and I started drinking more and more Bud Light, and Bud Light, Bud Light, um, Bud Licht, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I found myself craving it at bars and hmm. i didn't think i ever would and so the first night that i did i texted my dad and i said i have struck out and he said why and i said well i'm gay i'm a theater major and i like bud and light. i like bud light <laughs> you have officially every reason to disown me now and he just thought that was funny that's pretty great are you pretty close with your dad yeah yeah i would say so um, my mom is definitely like the more of the friend parent. Mm-hmm. Like I have a stronger relationship with her because my dad has always been like the, I need to phone you into a man kind of guy. Right. Um, he's mellowed out as the years have gone, but like, I definitely like, if anything in my life goes wrong, he's like the first person I call. That's cause awesome. he's just, cause he's just, he's, you know, I'm an artsy creative kind of guy and my mind tends to like jump to like the worst case scenarios and a lot of things. And like, I just like have jumbo brain all the time and mm. he's like you know military worked at a factory for like 25 plus years he's very like if this By then the this book, yeah. so like i'll go to him with what i think is like a world ending problem and he'll be oh there's a bud light burp um with what i think <laughs> it only adds character i know it only makes me it makes me seem straighter every time I burp. i'm just like <laughs> it really does um um, but I'll go with it to him with what I th- assume is a world ending problem. Mm-hmm. And he'll be like, no stupid. You just yeah. do this. He yeah. doesn't say stupid. I say right. stupid, but, um, he'll be like, no, it's just, you just do this and this and this. And I'm mm-hmm. like, ah. yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's an incredible thing to have. I mean, I think that, uh, I, I think we're in lucky positions. I'm also pretty close to my parents. So it's nice to have, have parents who can really bring you back down to earth. Cause I think that's, that's so much of growing up at least in my experience was you know like you said these world ending moments and having parents be the ones to you know mellow mellow you out Mm -hmm. like i have a really really strong relationship with my parents Mm -hmm. but i was when i was when i was a senior in high school i was ready to get out not because like i hated them but because like i was ready to be solo right and so like while my peers in freshman year were like Dude, my family, I haven't seen them in like two months. I was like, I could go another five months to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Hey, like, I was kind of in the same boat because I was pretty much an only child up until the point where I was, um, well, because my oldest, my closest sibling left the house when I was nine um, to go to college. And so from nine to 18, it was just me and my parents. So I was kind of in that same boat of like, all right, I love you guys, but I need my space. (laughs) Yeah, no, like my oldest sister is 33. Mm -hmm. And so like I, you know, like you said, I was like eight or nine when she went to college. Mm -hmm. And so like, and then my younger, oh my, my, not my younger, my middle sister went and finally I went and I was like the last one, the baby. And I was Mm -hmm. like, all right, I'm ready to Deep, dip out yep so do you think you were you always pretty close with your family or does 
Yeah. yeah. Um, th- my dad and my my mom were always big family people. Um, my dad has eleven brothers and sisters. Holy cow! Yeah. Wow. It was kind of like a year's family, mine and hour situation. Unions must be pretty fun. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> <laughs> they would be if they existed. Let me try. But like you know, with eleven brothers and sisters, yeah, that must be tough. Getting them all together is you're lucky if you get like five of them together. Um, but like my mom also has like five brothers and sisters. So like I have a massive extended family. I've had, I have second cousins that I've never met. Right. Um, and I can relate to that because my, my, my dad has eight siblings, three of which passed before I met them. Um, and that, yeah, bummer. Sorry, uh, listeners. Uh, and then my mom has four, but one of her um, siblings has nine kids as well. So yeah. we're like kind of right there with you with those huge, mm-hmm. huge families. Both of my dad's parents died by the time he was 25. Oh, man. So like he's had to like, that's another reason why he's always been so big into family is because he wants, like not that his parents weren't there for him because they obviously were right, for like a good portion of his uh, like, you know, childhood. But like he always like used to say that, he would his parents would have loved my mom they would have loved us but mm-hmm. we would never we'll never know because yeah. right hey well that's sometimes the way the world sometimes the way the world that's goes sometimes the world just the way it is that was supposed to be a really cool like no, analogy it's okay. but it's then it, <laughs> hey it happens i uh you know it's part of the podcast game sometimes yeah. the thoughts come sometimes they go i think that's just more part of the Caleb game <laughs> <laughs> So are, so your parents and family are they pretty uh, artsy as no. well or no? no. So, so where did, so where did that come from then? I fate. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay, I take that back. My siblings are pretty artsy. Okay, my parents no. Um, when I said I wanted to do theater, my parents were like, okay. This is, um, wait, what? <laughs> they were like, they. It wasn't until they started going to shows that they were like, oh, this is cool. Um, they've always been like big TV and movies lovers, but like theater was something that they were like, wait, hold on. It was hard mm-hmm. for them to, at first to wrap that around that that could be a career, but now that they're they're like massively supportive, they always usually do throw around the term backup. But yeah. like, as I think, as I think yeah. most most parents of well, kids, well, I think who are that going comes into... from like just they've always had whether it be a factory or like food service or whatever, they've always had, they've always known where their paycheck is coming from, right? And so the idea of somebody being a freelance worker. Like like an actor, and not necessarily knowing where your next paycheck is coming from, it's a hard concept for them to wrap their head around. Absolutely, like well, how do you not know where your next job Absolutely. is? And especially when you're, I mean, you're caring for a child. You, I mean, regardless of how old they get, you're always mm-hmm. still going to want to have them be, you know, supported yeah. and able to provide for themselves. So it's a, it's a scary thing. I mean, I couldn't imagine being a parent with a kid trying to dive into the theater game. My I mean, dad was. He had divorced his wife because huh, she cheated on him, and she didn't want my older sister. So my dad um, was in Germany with um, my sister hmm. by himself, and having to raise her, and then move back to the states. Wow! So like, he man's been through the ringer. He saw the Berlin Wall fall. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, he have a piece of it in our garage. Fun fact. That's so cool. Um. You can't sell a piece of the Berlin Wall because carbon dating like works best if you know things are old. Right. And right. while 1982 seems old to us, it's really not. It's really not. So yeah. like, unless you are willing to take a piece of because the Berlin Wall wasn't made out of any out of anything special. It was just made out of like concrete and barbed wire. Right. So unless you're like willing to take it to a carbon dater and be like, I need to get this proved that this was the first piece of the Berlin Wall, you used to try to sell it and people will be like. Pfft, 
yeah. sure, okay, cool. sure, whatever. Yeah. But my dad has a picture, and he's like, I That's swear it cool. is. So here we are. Man, that must have been a wild experience. I, I remember the first time I really grasped the concept of what the Berlin Wall was. Yeah. It was when I went. We So I'm from Grand Rapids, and we have the mm-hmm. Gerald R. Ford Museum because uh, Gerald Ford was from Grand Rapids. And in the museum, there's a huge slab of the Berlin Wall, and there's a video that plays on loop and stuff by it. And I was in Boy Scouts, and we were going to visit this place. I think I was about fifth grade, and I really just realized the actual scope of it. Um, And I couldn't imagine what it would be like being there Mm -hmm. in that time. I must be, probably must have been like one prior to it, must have been a very scary place to be. Well, and if I remember right, because it was made out of concrete and and stuff, it was put up relatively fast. Right. And so families were literally divided mm-hmm. because uh, because of the wall. And so, like, I don't want to say it like I don't think it went up overnight, but it went over in a really relatively quick period of time. So, and obviously, once it was up, you you were like committed. Yeah. So there were families yeah. that when it got torn down were like seeing each other for the first time in years. Yeah. Well, obviously, like I think it was like twenty years yeah. they hadn't seen that, each other. It's devastating. Devastating, and then I always think back to uh, the man from Uncle. There's a great scene in the opening action sequence where they—it's uh, Army Hammer and um, and uh, Love Army. Henry Cavill. It's a very slept-on movie of the past decade. Very, very. What fun. is it called again? The, uh, the Man from Uncle. The man it's based from off Uncle. an old TV show. I ten out of ten recommend it, guys. Okay. Um, they play. Uh, Henry Cavill plays a American spy, and um, uh, the other guy. Why am I? Uh, Army, Army Hammer. Hammer. Thank you is playing a Russian spy and it's, and they have team up and it's very, very fun. Well, little did but, you know that both of those men are my celebrity crushes. So well, nothing perfect. else. So I, I will we, just I watch, watch it. it sometime. I will just watch it to stare. <laughs> <laughs> so was there, when you, when you came out to your family, yeah. what was that situation like? Especially did that, did that, <laughs> co- did that coincide, uh, coincide pretty, um, you know, in a, in a similar time frame of you realizing you wanted to be in theater or what no. was that what was that discovery like? I knew I wanted to be in theater. It's really dang cliche to say from day one. And I won't say that I won't even say that. I had an inkling from day one. I remember mm-hmm. my family used to videotape me lip syncing to Avril Lavigne songs. <laughs> um and I was always the performer. Like I would put on shows for my family. I would do magic shows. They were terrible, but oh my God, was he cute. Um But then middle school came along and <clears throat> I went through that phase that a lot of kids do where I was like, uh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. Like you switch on a dime. Right. right. I was just watching uh, for nostalgia's sake, Agent Cody Banks. And, uh, <laughs> and it brought me back to my, cause I saw it was on HBO. Yeah. And it brought me back to when I was a kid and I was like, I want to be a spy so hard. Spy kids was that movie for oh, me. Yeah, I was totally. like, I must work with this equipment. <laughs> Um, but then, so middle school happened and then high school came along and I was like, and high school in my mind was the time that like you had to pick what you were going to do for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Stupid, but whatever. I think we all have shared to some degree. Mm -hmm. Cause like, you know, you're entering the big leagues. Right. Um, so I was like, so there was this thing that I used to like, um, shout out to my grandparents. I forgot to say that when I was younger, they used to take me to a crap ton of like shows at the local community theater at high schools and stuff. So they were definitely instrumental <clears throat> into doing that. But then I remembered in high school, I was like, there was this thing that I used to like to do 
Um, let's give that a shot. Mm-hmm. And literally the rest is history. So wow. I knew freshman year that I wanted to do theater. I didn't come out really to anybody. I didn't come out to my parents until freshman year of college. I didn't come out to any of my friends until about junior year of high school. Mm. And even then it was only to like one or two. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I actually came out to my parents over a game of Uno. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the most memorable game. Yeah. Of Uno oh, of surely. Um, Cause my sister is also um, gay. She, and I remember it was the fall. It was uh, not fall break. It was Thanksgiving break of my freshman year. Um, IU has the whole week off and Ball mm-hmm. State only has the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Right. Um, and my sister went to Ball State and she had come home that night on Tuesday night and I was out with friends and she decided to have the formal like sit down, tell the parents, like answer the questions kind of thing right. with, with them at dinner. And um, so the next day we met up, I think like doing chores or something. I don't know. From, and I asked her about it. I said, Allie, how did it go? And she was like, oh, Caleb, so much better than I ever thought it was going to be. Wow. Like they were That's inquisitive. Great. They were like open. They were like, the first thing they said is that we, just so you know, we, we still love you. Like if that was even a doubt in your mind. And right. I was like, okay, so when I want to tell them, mm. it'll be great. Not thinking that fast forward to that night, we're at, we're at the basement table playing Uno. And my mom's like, you know, you're a really great brother to be keeping your sister's secret for that long. And I was like, hey, yeah. yeah. And then my dad jokingly was like, so do you have anything you want to tell us? And I was like, well, and my mom was like, oh, oh. And, so that and then, then she went back. She said yeah. the Avril Lavigne. She, she, <laughs> she said, boy, doesn't pirouette <laughs> like that unless something's up. Um, and so... Um, but then she started to cry because she was like, she found out that I had told like five of the friends before she did, mm. before I, I told her. And it was just like, I don't think they understood that like, it's not just a simple act of telling them. Right. It's all the baggage that goes along with it. Um, like, you know, you'll never have biological grandchildren. You might have to face shit at work because of who I am. Right. Um, fran- shit from family members who aren't you. Like, it's not just... I'm gay. It's look at all the things that will happen. Yeah, the rippling effect. The ripple effect. Um, and also, I had a, had a bunch of gay friends at the time who, I, when I asked about it, were like, hey, even if even if you know that your parents are going to be okay with it, you need to have like a solid support group. Mm-hmm. That way, if anything does happen, you have them to go to. And so uh, that was a really big, good piece of good piece of advice that I got. But Absolutely. in the end it didn't need to happen because they were super, super chill with it. Always yeah. have been. My dad That's likes incredible. to claim that he would have been okay with it. If I had come out earlier, I came out as bi first to like mm-hmm. test the waters. Yeah. Um, but he likes to claim he would have been okay with it, but my dad was not the liberal minded man. He was, he is now he was mm-hmm. used to be incredibly conservative. Um, but I remember the day that I was like, okay, I think I can come out to him was one time me and my best friend, uh, Hegedy were in the basement and we were just chatting like friends and buds yeah. and stuff. And then like, little did we know it's high school. It's like 1130 at night. Oh shit. We got to go. Right. Or at least he's got to go. It's my house. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so he's walking up the stairs, he's leaving. And my dad like is downstairs in the basement with us. And I'm walking up the stairs to like go to my room 
And my dad was like, hey, Caleb, can I, like, can I ask you something real quick? And I was like, yeah, sure, dad. What is it? And he was like, so you and, you and Heech, are you guys like a thing? And not like condescending, yeah. not like. Just truly asking. Just truly, truly inquisitive. And I was like, oh no, dad, he's, Heech is great, but he's, he's straight and he's just my best friend. And daddy, my dad was like, oh, okay. I, I just wondered. Mm. And it was in that moment that I was like. I think I can do it. Now. Yeah, absolutely. I think I could do it. That's that's awesome. I'm happy. I'm happy that you have have you know a, a great story like Me that. Me too. Because yeah. I'll tell you what, it's not always yeah and like it, that. that yeah. and like, it's in fact that's actually going back to like art and stuff. It actually has inspired me, and I'm telling everybody I can because it will hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. I am writing an autobi semi autobiographical play about it. Wonderful. Um and, um. It'll go, it's a non-sequential play about like, it's, the original title was Bata because it was before, after, during, after. Since it has changed because I've added scenes, but um, it's before the event, after the event, during the event, and then after the event again. Mm. And the event is coming out. And the play also tackles bulimia because um, I'm bulimic Mm. and I have never seen that on stage before. Yeah, I haven't either. And so... um, I was like, this, this is, this is a story that needs to be told. Yeah. So do you think that your desire to, you know, put the story on stage is spurs like from that desire to see something that you've never seen on stage before? Or do you think it's kind of just always been there that you just wanted to write and this story happened to pique your interest more? Por que no los dos? True. Um, I think that the story has always been there, but, uh, the story that the play would, it does focus on is I don't think not to diminish anybody's experiences or anything because everybody's experience is their own. But like, I think that an experience that doesn't get represented enough in either plays or movies is that tender, tender relationship that exists between a father and a gay son. Mm. Um, Because a lot of fathers, I feel like, especially in the generation that my dad is in felt that it is their job when they have a son to raise him to be a man. Mm. And when a son admits that, and when a son admits that they are gay, somehow that means that the father has failed. Yeah. Um, That they have failed at their job. I remember asking my dad um, one time, Hey dad, have I disappointed you? And he was like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And I was like, well, okay. So when you were at the hospital, and they said, congratulations, it's a baby boy. Did you have the visions of, like, the captain of the football team dating the gorgeous cheerleader going on to, like, be a lawyer or a marketer or a doctor? Mm-hmm. And what you got was a gay theater major. Yeah. And he was like, well, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I did have those visions. But what I got is what I got. Mm. And I love that. Oh. And I said to myself, like, obviously, I was like, oh, cute, dad. But the simultaneously, I also had the thought of, wow, that could have gone so much worse. Yeah. And so that that idea of like what happens when that doesn't, when that does go bad, mm-hmm. is why I wanted to write this play because right. again, it goes back to the idea that when a son is gay, somehow, some way, the father thinks that he has failed. Right. 
Um, and changing that paradigm. I mean, I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if that's ever possible that you could change something like that. I mean, it's such a personal, but at least getting personal it belief. But getting it, yeah, exactly, yeah, and getting it, and and having people see it firsthand that like, no one's failed here. Right. It's just who somebody is. Right. And also because, like I said, I the the side plot of the play is this is his is the character's struggle with bulimia, and I was and I wanted to throw that in there because. A, I think that a lot of it is stress induced, and that mm. is a is a big part of the relationship is stress. But also because I, I imagine fuck it, I've never seen eating disorders tackled like that in a play right, before. Right, and and I think that especially in the world that we're seeing theater, especially, and I'm thinking you know big time theater, uh, you know, yeah. c- commercial theater right now. Exactly, a lot of it is very. I don't want to say safe because there are things like prom shows like prom and shows like that, that are trying to break, you know, break barriers, put new stories out there or like, yeah. Um, the band visit, the band's visit. Great. Like, you know, there are ones, but we can't deny that there are mean girls. What? Yeah. There are shows that are just, you know, based off of your movies or your revivals of that's like this, their fifth revival. I mean, West Side's getting another revival. Do we need that? No, but hey, a movie's coming out, so they're yeah. going to be able to mark it off. Of Come it. on, Spielberg. So it's. I think it's, it's great that I think our generation is very passionate about putting stories forward that haven't been told before. Yeah. And um, I'm interested, I mean, especially as a straight cis male, you know, or I mean, cis is whatever. But uh, you got it. I think okay. Did I get it right? You you, you nailed it. Okay, cool. I was my eyes went back because I was thinking about it. But yeah, you got it. I'm trying my best. Uh, But you know, seeing how stories that I you know have zero way to relate to, um, how I can still learn from those stories. Yeah, is I mean that's that's the human experience. You know, trying to empathize with people as much as you can, and I think the best way to do that is preach it for the people in the back, man. Yeah, man. Hey, I it's it's one of my uh, it's one of the the best things about our art form. Um, Absolutely, that you just tra- I mean, it's one of the, it's. I don't want to get on a soapbox here, viewer I and mean, listeners, because uh, I often do get on soapboxes during this. I'll push show. the box towards you. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, we're in a very special field where not many people have the opportunity to be able to help give, essentially, inception people with different ideas of like how to view the world Mm -hmm. um and yeah you can do that if you're helping you know if you're in humanitarian work or things like that but i think there's something to be said about storytelling because humans are storytellers to their at their base sense yeah that's how we've gotten to where we are in the world absolutely and that's i mean that's how we can talk about our current climate in general it's just like a constant wanting to be the center of our own stories, whether that's a good yeah. thing or a bad thing. Um, but I think that realizing the potential that our art form can take is yeah. an incredible, incredible step that we can take in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, progressing in our narrative. Absolutely. And yeah. like you said about empathizing with other people's stories, it doesn't have to be your story for you to recognize value in it. Right. And I think you learn more about people from hearing stories that are not your own. Exactly. Like I can't, I can't say that I've experienced, you know, suffering from bulimia, mm-hmm. but I can relate to dealing with stress in a very unhealthy way, you know? And I think that yeah. every, like a lot of people can and s- seeing just that played out in a different 
you know sphere yeah. is very important for people to see you know different life experiences absolutely yeah so let's uh take a little bit of a right turn okay change things up a little i prefer bit. the left but let's go <laughs> we'll go right <laughs> uh don't worry it won't be in poli- this political, won't be climate? political uh um we won't be talking about trump's tweets or anything don't worry oh uh, boy but anyways so you you mentioned you loved singing your Avril Lavigne covers when you were little. Absolutely. Uh, how you loved to sing. Um, mm. I've seen you primarily in straight plays here at school um, in your time here. Why could they be gay the plays? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what's, what's that been like, um, you know, wanting to explore the musical side of theater, um, mm-hmm. but... F- have you ever felt like you were pigeonholed into not being able to explore that? And how did you overcome that if you were? Well, when I, to tell you the truth, when I entered college, I thought I was going to be a musical theater actor. Mm. That's where my love was. I loved musicals. That's then what how, I did. What changed that then? <laughs> I didn't get into the PFA program at IU. That's what changed. I guess that's fair. Come on, no, George it, Penny. What did you not see in this man? Uh, well, you know what? No, I look, you know what? I had a lot of people telling me a lot of things back in high school. Everybody did, you know, everybody was the big fish in the small pond. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back, looking back on who I was my freshman year, I was not ready for it. Mm-hmm. I certainly, I wouldn't have put me. Why, why do you say that? Um, I just, I wasn't open. I mm-hmm. like, I, I had talent. My singing voice was definitely not where it is now. Like that was the, probably the number one thing that has grown in college is my singing voice. Um, I just, I was, I had come from speech and debate, which is its own beast. And like a lot of that is very structured and like, it's still like, is basically essentially competitive acting, but a lot of it is like your beats are structured. Everything about it is structured. And so, you know, they throw a curveball at you in those auditions and you just are like, yeah. you like, you're not organic. And like, mm-hmm. not just, like I said, I, I, I do think I had talent, but like, I just wasn't ready for it. But like gotcha. I, my parents were like, not you need to stay in state, but like they were like beating me over the head with the idea of like, um, the in state will save you money and all that stuff. So I was like, okay, so didn't get into the BFA program. And I knew that IU was a school that I wanted to go to. Cause I took one visit here and I was like, yes, this is it. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, let's look at their theater program. And I saw wonderful things about it. And I decided to come um, and it wasn't, but it wasn't until, and I had always done plays in high school too. And I loved those and I loved acting and I always knew that I was a stronger actor than I was a singer, but I still loved musicals and no one was going to mm. tell me that I wasn't going to be in one, but <laughs> it wasn't until college that when I started reading plays and started getting cast in nothing but plays up until I think like junior year of college, did I get cast in a musical? But what show is that? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Oh, <laughs> God. Somebody pull up my resume. <laughs> um, um, it might have been It might have been Heather's. Oh, yeah. Was the first time that I was cast in a that musical was a, that was a fun in show. college. Yeah, yeah, it was so fun. I loved yeah. it. Um, but up, up until that point, I had been cast in nothing but plays. Wow. And it was through doing those that I was like, you know what? I think I like plays more. Hmm. Not that me like what, what I just you, got done with a contract for a musical and yeah. it was a bucket list role, but right. like I was like, I think I like plays more because I think, not to say that because I think that I can do musicals and stuff, but mm, which you just did, uh, you obviously can. <laughs> yeah, um, 
But I don't know. There's just something about plays and just, I just love acting. Mm-hmm. And not to say, obviously there's acting in musicals, but I just love the structure of plays. I love the two hour marathon of just being with each other and just like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I just fell in love with them. I can relate life. to that. I mean, I've, this is, I'm in little women currently and yeah. it's my second straight play I've been a part of, uh, or fully realized straight play, I should say. And seeing the difference in just it, you, you may think is from an outsider view, there isn't that big of a difference between doing a play and a musical, but there oh really, God. there really is. I mean, yeah. Prep wise, uh, how you you and your cast interact wise i find that um being in a straight play has kind of forced me to uh because you have a lot less to to work on in terms of just material Mm -hmm. um and therefore you have more things to like mine and you can take more time to to really dissect where figuring out those specifics exactly and I found that sometimes I'll get more connected with um, my cast members in a straight play than I do in a musical because we're getting to, you know, really take time to dive in and realize what each other are doing in our certain roles. I can see that. I agree with that. Yeah. What Uh, was it? it, Was there something specific like that that kind of sparked uh, your love for plays? Oh, oh. I mean, there doesn't have to be, but I'm just curious. No, there probably was if I think, if I think about it. Um, I mean, my first play in college was a wonderful play directed by Nick Pappas called um, The Lieutenant of Anishmore. God, I'm going back, but I'm going back down memory lane. It's kind of fun. Um, and that was my first college show. It was my first lead in a college show. Um, and uh, Martin McDonough wrote it. Who wrote? Oh, yeah. 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 Three I, Billboards. One of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the bomb. Martin McDonough is the best. He is amazing. Um and for all of us who don't know, his plays are very, very violent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to say the least. Like, L- Lieutenant of Ishmore is no example, and it's no exception. Um, but, ju- like you said, just the bond that we got through that, um, and then jumping right into a play called Humble Boy after that, which was literally like a modern Hamlet in which I played the Hamlet character. Um, I don't know. It just there's something about that connection that happens on stage that like you can get in musicals, but it's just so, it's just so fun in plays. And I, I, I think I like the writing of plays so mm-hmm. much more. Yeah. Um, there's just so much more to get character wise to get into. I find a lot. Um, now obviously there are, it depends on, it depends it, on the work. It depends course, on the, like, but, obviously like you yeah. get into, y- you could throw any piece of Stonheim at me and we could have a good debate about it. Um, but I, now that's not to say that I don't still love musicals. Of course, I mean, I, and, you're, and I don't think you you're yeah. sounding like you are. No, 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 no. I, it, it, there's nothing wrong. I, I, I really, really am not a fan of this whole beef between straight play world and musical world that I feel is very prevalent. Not just at you know, I, I mean, I feel like it's at any university. Yeah, but like just in general. And one, I'm of the camp. Ansley's says this to me all the time acting is acting no matter what capacity you're in yeah when I, you're you're singing you're singing you're agree. still you know acting through your song acting yeah. through the melody and through the thought process that your character is going through your li- rhyming yeah. lyrics even. it's just a different way of doing it's it. just a different way of doing it and they both have different I mean separate merits yeah and um 
the there's you can't discount the the emotional feeling that you have that you get in a great musical piece let's take um ladies who lunch for example i love that so every I'll, I'll just pop that on like randomly mm-hmm. um because i i love company but that, that song lands such an emotional punch but then there can be in a moment like in um like in little women when beth dies that's just as spoiler, spoiler alert, alert my sorry, god 132 year old book or however long it was um probably longer than that but uh it still has that same emotional punch to it. Uh, it's just played out in a different way. You know what, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and they're both valid. And to be quite honest, another reason that I started liking plays more than musicals is because in plays, you don't have to dance. That's true. Um, hey, and that's why Crutchy is also my dream role for Newsies. Cause I'll tell you like what, though. I signed that, that contract, and I was like, thank God. I won't have to dance. It'll be the easy part fuck was I wrong <laughs> I got done with the opening number and was sweating my ass off because I'll tell you what navigating a crutch up and down stairs but also being told that you have to get from point A to point B at the same speed everybody else is <laughs> and then also being told hey you will actually be modifying the dances ah. instead of not doing them I was like this not I still like like I said crutchy has always been a dream role of mine but I was like this is so this is much your training day I, I watched an interview with the woman who played Nessa Rose mm. on Broadway well one of the many considering it's been running 15 years now yeah um, but she was like yeah most people would assume that I have the easy role because I'm in a wheelchair right but maybe less so on tour because most of the stages there are flat but at the Gershwin on Broadway, their stage is raked. Right. And so the... Four arms of steel, Yes, baby. exactly. Because <laughs> she was like, if I don't have control of that wheelchair, I'm rolling right into the orchestra pit. Right. And so I would say that Crutchy's the same way. Like he would, People would look at him and be like, oh, that must be the easy part. And I'm like, no, ma'am, you go. And also, like, I have like five bruises on my left leg <laughs> because I... You know, you have to pick one leg to be the bum one and the one to be the good one. And I picked my left leg to be the good one. And that one, like, I can't tell you the number of times my quads flared up, my calves flared up. I got like, I pain shooting Goodness. up my left leg. Like, it was, and also, like, you know, being on a crutch, I had, like, handle blisters. Oh, um, yeah. And, like, the it going up into your forearm, like, just pains from that. Mm-hmm. It, I... I, a couple of dress rehearsals, I came out of it looking like I had just gotten into a car wreck. <laughs> like it was, it was, it was not, it was hard work, but those are also the roles that I love mm-hmm. where like, you know, it's, it's, it's nice every once in a while to have the track like King George and Hamilton where you're like, yeah. I have three I songs. On, come on stage three, three times. songs <laughs> on stage, have a glass of wine, maybe come out for curtain call if they're lucky. Right. Um, but like when you put your literal like body and sweat, and hopefully not blood, but and tears into the into the process into the role. It'll only make it better. Yeah, you you walk out of it and you're like, I earned that post show Taco Bell. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you've played, you know, you're crutchy. You played a lot of fathers. You've played yeah. a gay soldier in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You've played a pirate. What's a character? that you haven't played that you want to play and get your teeth sunk into Sweeney Todd. Ooh, yes. I um, can totally see that. I'd love to see that. 
I would too. Um, but that's just, <laughs> I, I have so many, I have so many dream roles, man. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I, the question wasn't about dream roles. What's about roles that I haven't played, but like, I, I'll tell you what, um, I, the character, the, the, the soldier in Vietnam one, he was gay. And I was proud of that one because one of the fears I had about coming out was that once you declare that you are an actor who is gay, that's all you'll be seen as mm-hmm. is the gay characters. And now there was, exa- I had like role models that tell me otherwise, like for first and foremost, Neil Patrick Harris is Barney. Right. Um, right. <laughs> like, like that was a great role model for me was like, no, you, if you are gay, you won't. But like I had major fears about it. Like it was, you know, I come out, I'll only be playing the gay characters and Richie and streamers, which is still one of my favorite plays and his favorite roles I've ever played was the first gay character that I ever played in nine years of acting. Wow. Um, so that like was incredible to me that my fears not were invalid because they were there, but that they didn't come to fruition. Right. Um, I roles that I haven't played. Um, I don't think and it doesn't have to be specific roles. Just what's something? What's like, something? What's a story that I want to tell? Yeah. Um, I want to tell. Like you said, I I have been fortunate enough to play a lot of characters with stories that aren't mine and stories that are vastly different. I think next, if I had to pick, I'd want to play a character with a little story a little bit closer to mine. Okay. Um, a kid who not a kid. I'm a 22 year old man. God damn it. <laughs> um, but um, a person who struggles with the insecurities that I do, mm. struggles with an eating disorder, I would love to bring that into the world, whether it be playing somebody who has an eating disorder or writing is something about. I just think yeah. that like that kind of story needs to be told right now. Mm. Not, it has needed to have been told for a while, but like I'd like to see it through fruition, especially a male having an eating disorder Mm. because one of the most painful things that my dad ever said to me when I was actually, when I came out, I had a harder time telling him that I was bulimic than I did ever telling him I was gay, which was really interesting to me. Um, when I told him that I was, yeah, when I told him that I was bulimic, the first thing he said to me was, I think your problem is simple. You're behaving like a 16 year old girl. Um, you big oof. Big oof. Um, and that brought to light two things. One, my dad does not get eating disorders. Right. And B, I said one and B. Ugh. Anyway, two, the stigma. I didn't even notice. <laughs> the stigma behind eating disorders and who has them. Mm. Um, and that this idea that not that men can't have them. Right. And I was just like. That was that hit me really hard. It's heavy. That, yeah, that is heavy. And so, I want to be a part of bringing that into the forefront. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I said, I've been really knock on wood fortunate enough to play a lot of. There it is. Um, it's fake wood, but it'll work. You know what? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, they play a lot of characters who have stories that are vastly different than mine. Mm-hmm. But so I think if I had my druthers, the next one would be somebody whose story is a little bit closer to mine. Nice. Um, which is a little bit of a double entendre. Would that be the... Anyway, it's late. I don't have to be correct it in my analogies. Um, which is a little bit of a hypocritic... Oh, God, I'm still thinking about it. Um, because 
one of the reasons I became an actor was to tell stories that aren't mine and right. to live lives that aren't mine. Right. But sometimes, you know, acting is also therapeutic. Hmm. And so I think the therapy that I need right now is the kind that Where you a story a little bit, is a, a, a story that is a little bit closer to mine right. so I can hash it out. Right. Absolutely. So you're, you definitely have stuck out to me as a, one of the great actors here at, here at IU and you've been in some awesome productions. One of my most memorable being cock my freshman year, the first independent project I saw uh, yes. um, here at IU. And I, I think that you, you in any role, you're always, there's always something very starkly different about each of your characters, which I think is a very good thing. You're never, you're not, you're not one note at all. How do you get to that place? Do you have a certain process that you experience or try to hash out before you get with a character? Do you, or is it more just like, has it comes with whichever part you get? Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, Josh Carter, are you hitting on me? (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, I love this question because I think so often what part of our training is the process. Like how do you get there? Um, Absolutely. And I, for me, it varies with every single role because every single person is different and therefore deserves to be looked at differently. Um, And what I do is I start not to borrow from Patty Lapone here, but I am responsible for the text. Mm. That's the first thing I go to is what can I get from this? What do I need from this? Um, and then I determine I have a little checklist, not like an actual one. Don't go through my Google drive find. <laughs> um, but I have a checklist, a mental one that I'm like, how close is this person to me? Right. Um, I like that. And I might, I might steal that because I feel like the more we can find in common with our characters, not the easier they come to play, but the less work we have to do to reach them, to reach them. Exactly. Um, I, I'm a firm believer, even in some, a character like the Joker or the dark Knight. there's something there's, whether we want to admit it or not, there's some part of us that can find something to relate to about that person. Right. Um, that's where as actors, our need to be empathetic comes in. Um, but I see how close that person is to me mm. and that informs how much work I need to do and what kind of quote unquote methods yeah. I need to do in order to get to this person. Right. Do you have a, do you have a certain one that you find yourself um, going back to more often than not? Cause um, for me, like I'll uh, one of my favorite things I do, I do this for every character regardless of how, cause I kind of have the same, kind of approach to Mm -hmm. you know depending on i mean things creating character for laurie an eight uh you know 19th century um teenager Mm -hmm. is going to be different from how i prep for you know stone and city of angels exactly but anyways i always regardless of the character i always make a playlist for them um because i find that music is such a personal personal thing creating a sound for your character you know can help you get into a mindset especially during your pre-show um getting yeah. ready and getting into that headspace especially if it's a heavy show yeah like for next next to normal i i did um i played dr madden for those of you who didn't get to see it and like on my here i'll pull up my playlist right right here um i had uh like a lot of uh, lenny kravitz i had um 
a lot of David Bowie and like getting to create that backstory of because especially with the doctor, I mean, he's okay. he doesn't he doesn't have a lot that you can do. Yeah, um, he doesn't have a, or a lot that's like about well, who yeah. he is. Totally. So getting to create that character around uh, him was and getting to you know personalize that through a playlist. Yeah, is a very and I think that goes back yeah. to like what's in the text because you recognize mm-hmm. that in the text about the doctor there wasn't much there to go off of so right. you as the artist got to had to create the world off of little to no information mm-hmm. however there is much more said in next to normal about diane right and so diana. the having to go to outside sources to create the world is less necessary because so much of her world is given in the context of the show right. and through others and through herself and so much less outside digging is need to be done in order to get into the world. And I, mm. that's one of the reasons that I love reading is like, I keep, I, the first time when I, whenever I'm casting a play, I read it once just to read it. And I read it twice for me, from, mm. from my purposes. Right. Once to get a, like a general sense of what's going on again. And then a second time to be like, okay, what is my, what is my track in this? Um, and wh- what, what is going to serve me? Um, like for example, for Richie, Richie's a perfect example because I, yes, he's in, he was in 19, he's a, he was a, 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 a 22 year old, 22, maybe a little older than me, like 23, 24. Anyway, pretty close in age to me. Right. Man from Early Manhattan. 20s, yes. Um, who was in a bunker with a bunch of people waiting to see if he was going to get shipped off to the Vietnam war. Right. Um, now, I've never lived in Manhattan. I have never been in a bunker in Virginia. I have never been terrified at the prospect of being sent overseas for a war. Right. Those were things that I simply did not Especially know. Especially a war like Vietnam. Exactly. So those were the things that I knew that I was going to have to do research and create that world for. But I did know what it was like to be in my early 20s. I did know what it was like to be gay. I did know what it was like to have to hide my sexuality in, in a world where it could get me in trouble. So in all those cases, I knew who Richie was. And so I didn't have to work to develop those, to develop that world because I had lived in that world. I knew what that felt like. Um, And acting is so interesting to me because we spend so much time doing the homework, um, doing the research, preparing offstage. And then as soon as we step our right or left foot on that stage, we have to let, we it, have all to let, let it all go right. because it's not about us anymore. It's right. about the other people. Right. And I think that's the beautiful thing about what we do too is if we're doing it right, it should never be about us. It should be about somebody else. It should be about right. who we're on stage, which should be about the audience. It should never be about us. And the minute it becomes about us is the minute we're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do the, if you do the work properly and well, you will be in a place to where when you connect with your scene partner on stage, you'll get those moments of, you know, mm-hmm. Oh, like, like I was listening to David Bowie on my car ride to my office this morning mm-hmm. while I had my breakfast or something like yeah. that. And you know, when you're creating these real thoughts as these characters, um, that'll, it'll come naturally if you did the work right. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm sure you do constantly because it always seems to come through. 
we do all the work. We we do the homework. We do the emotional research. We do the period research. We do all this research so we can forget it. Yeah. So that way it's just ingrained into our bodies. So that way when we're on stage, we don't have to think about the fact of, okay, I'm in a bunker in Vietnam, in the, not in Vietnam, in Virginia in 1972. We already been known that. You've right. been known that. It's right. in your body. How are you standing? How are you, how like, how, what are what are the tensions of the scene? You already know that. It's already ingrained in you. Right. So that way you as the artist, that that's never going to change. Your given circumstances are never going to change. Right. What is going to change is what you are given from another person mm-hmm. on Absolutely. stage. And once you have all that work done, it allows you to be um, human on stage in the most, you know, yeah. real way that you can be. Absolutely. In, in the false circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a one reason that I'm, when somebody's like, oh, that was a perfect performance, I want to not gag, but like, I want to challenge that with our job as actors is to portray human beings mm. and humans are inherently imperfect. Right. So the idea of a perfect performance is inherently flawed hmm. because wow. we are portraying that. imperfect human, imperfect right. beings. So our performance can inherently be not, per- it can only can be inherently imperfect. Hmm. Wow. Deep. Hashtag woke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we're kind of coming to close here, uh, I have one one kind of big question I wanted to to touch on. Lay it on Um, me. You've gotten to experience a lot of, you know, passing the torch onto the next generation of your educational experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, working with your camps. You spent time at Interlochen last summer, correct? Yeah. And, you know, you're working with the kids now at the midsummer camp. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also were a part of the outreach uh, committee Mm -hmm. uh, for SAB, getting to reach out to, you know, area high schools and teach them a little bit about theater and Mm -hmm. what it's like to study it in college. Um, What's what's that taught you in your time getting to, you know, experience that with some younger folk? It goes back to the idea that this is not about us. Mm. It's not about you. It's about other people. And everything we do in theater should be for the sake of others, whether it be for your scene partner, whether it be for your your audience, whether it should be for the future. Um, and the reason I do it is because I think you learn more from the younger generation than you do than you can learn. Anymore. Kids teach you so much, whether mm-hmm. you want them to or not, about yourself. Right. Um, about yourself as a leader, about yourself as an artist, about yourself overall and i think that the greatest disservice you can do to a human being is to have knowledge and to not share it Mm. um and that's perhaps also one of the most selfish things that you can do um now obviously you know your path to success is your path to success and even if i was to if even if I was to have a son and I was a highly successful actor and I said, now son, this is exactly how I did it. Give mm-hmm. him my exact blueprints. This is how you do it. There is still no guarantee that they will be able to that, do the same. That, that plan will work. Right. Because this business is so subjective, so twisty so and turny, much luck. so much luck that you can't possibly be like, this is the purpose for success. But what I can do is set people up with the tools that are most likely going to get you success. I can't right. tell you the audition song that you you need to sing to get the role, right. but I can tell you that if you are kind, you are going to get a role. Right. I can tell you. If you're on time, you, you people will want to work with you more. Exactly. Yes. 
Um, I, and that is just a fact. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I just, I've always said that if I wasn't an actor, I'd be a teacher. Mm. Um, but the and reason maybe I can't, still will be, who knows? I probably, will, I, I do want to teach acting at the collegiate level one day, but like, especially now, in, like in my early twenties, I remember that was one of the worst things about being an interlocking was as much as I loved, loved, loved watching the growth of those kids. Cause I was one of those counselors that went above and beyond and like sat in on classes with the kids because right. I wanted to learn as well. Right. But every day I would just sit there and I would, be, I, I would want to be the one on my feet doing what they're doing mm. instead of sitting there as much as I loved I watching very, them grow. I think that's telling, man. Yeah. And I, it's exactly, it was one of the reasons that told me that right now, especially I'm not meant to be a teacher. Right. I'm meant to be an actor because I wanted nothing more than to be up there with them pulling mm-hmm. the rope or delivering the monologue, working it out. But I was, you know, I'm not the one paying $8,000 to go there. Right. Right. So like I loved watching their growth, but I had to sit there and watch them grow instead right. of being the one growing. So do you have a certain, uh, like say, like say like one, one very clear thing that you were taught by one of your, uh, campers in your time, um, or just any experience that has, you know, given you some great advice or, um, maybe given you a different perspective or something. Um, and if not, that's okay. I'm just, no, I, again, they teach you so much whether you want them to or not. The the experience that impacted me the most. I don't even. I don't know necessarily if I necessarily learned anything from it, but the experience that impacted me the most was I did institutes at Interlaken, which mm-hmm. is a week long. It's like a. It's like the full six weeks camp, but in one week. So they're like really going at it. Wow. And there was a camper in my cabin who was was autistic. Mm-hmm but visibly on the spectrum. And I had never encountered anybody with autism with that was that visually on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I had encountered people who were autistic before, but like very much on the spectrum, right. like very visibly on the spectrum. And so I went to my counselor friends and I was like, look, I've never dealt with this before. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, just treat them Exact, as you would as yeah, any, as right, you would anybody else like until something comes up that you need to address mm-hmm. he's just Another he's just camper. a normal person right and i was like makes sense got it and that's what would happen we would me and my co-counselor james we treated him just as we would anybody else he had a big problem with thunderstorms and also a big mm-hmm. problem with uh homesickness so during the night he would get up from his bed go to the back of the cabin and start sobbing Mm. and so I would get up from my bed. I would go back, be with him for a second and be like, do you want me here? Do you need anything? And he would be like either, yes, stay here or no, I'm fine. And I would go back about my business and it was fine. He was a wonderful kid. Um, finish out the week. He leaves and I had left the cabin at this point, but I come back and there's a letter sitting on my, on my bed and I open it. And it's handwritten from him. Mm. And I still have it in my um, important things box. 
um, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something along the line of, um, I can't thank you enough for treating me like anybody else. I can't, mm. you made me really feel like I was a normal kid. Wow. Um, and That's I gained, good. I gained a second father figure yeah. oh, wow. in a week. And of course, I, being the emotional, empathetic extrovert that I am, started <laughs> weeping in the middle of the cabin. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was an experience that will live with me yeah. forever. And that, again, putting it going full circle and just, it's not, it should never, art should never be, a, not, sh- I, why, I, should, I shouldn't say should never be about you. Right. But it's because, you know, you have to find the fulfillment in it and you have to, you're the one that has to do it. Right. You have to, you're the one that has to bring it, bring the, you know, page but to the stage. The product is always for somebody else. Right. Whether it be for your scene partner or your, or your audience, it's always inherently about somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that can be a shock for a lot of people. But for me, it's an incredibly humbling thought. Mm. Yeah. That like this is not my ego should never get in the way of this because I'm not doing this for me. This right. is what we are doing is for an art like you know I when I got done playing Crutchy there was there were there were kids that would come after me after up to me after the show just like gushing about like how much my performance meant to them mm. and how Crutchy was their favorite character and how they related to him so much. Um, mm. and I just was like, somehow I was able to do this for them. Right. And how incredibly humbling that is. It is. I mean, those, those moments where you, you see the impact that your work has on, on yeah. somebody, uh, it's moving and it, it's reinvigorating for showing why we want to do this work. Yeah. And um I appreciate you telling that story. That was really that was really touching. Yeah. I'm glad that you got to have that experience. Oh, he was a really he was a really good kid. Yeah. Was rest in peace. No. <laughs> he's still, we, let's hope that I'm, he's still uh, He's still alive yeah. and thriving. <laughs> Great. Um man. Well, thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. It's, it's a pleasure getting to sit down and chat yeah. with you anytime. Oh. Um, and I'm gonna miss you. I'm bud. gonna miss you too, man. Thank you for coming out on my uh, bar crawl, my twenty, my twenty first birthday, and when we yes. are, by bar crawl, I mean the one thing oh with my brother my and I. God. and Nick. your brother we're, killed us. Yeah, we. He certainly killed me. He, I, he, he <laughs> killed me as well. It was it was a. Wonderful he just kept handing us shots, and I was yeah. like, sir, <laughs> sir, 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 you don't understand. I am a lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> this will not go down well. <laughs> it was a great time, but um. I'm happy that you were here to, you know, spread your uh, spread your truth, man, and let us know spread about spread the truth. Let you uh, let us know about what you're what you're all about. Thank and you. And I wish you only the best. Um, oh, I wherever, wish you nothing wherever but the, the best. road uh, takes you. I'm seeing this show Friday night, and I'm really excited. I'm excited. You're gonna for kill you to see it. it. Thank you, man. That show is beautiful, by the way. Beautiful. Aesthetically, okay. like I saw pictures of it in Thank Oklahoma, you. and I was like, "My God!" Thank you. It's uh, yeah, the, the designers did an incredible job, and I am very lucky to be a part of this team because uh, cast great, production team great, and show I like to think is pretty great, uh, even though I can't say because I'm in it. But, um, anyways, 
thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. And um, I hope that you listeners have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening. And I can't wait to catch you next week. See you later, guys.